like a clown, no, those is all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons in the mazes Acapella, bear a salad, cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compile and gather show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk, do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The first, best podcast you've ever heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouser. It's always bad to see because Mologist himself. Trash or good? What do you see here, cosmologist? Oh, some big meaty men. Show the, Is this the final? Sorry, we got six men of various body types. They're all jacked in various ways. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, yes, five men. One of them is big enough for two dudes. Um, and they are all in, in harnesses. And I'm assuming this is the final five of the physical 100. This is the final five of the physical 100, which I talked about as being sort of like a contemporary like squid game uh, type of South Korean uh, game show. And so they just wrapped up. I know who won. I, I, I want, I'm going to give an outline for some of the various challenges they did. Cause I think you'll appreciate some of them are like rooted in mythology, which was pretty interesting. Um, okay. And then I'm going to give you the background of each of these men. And I'm going to see if you can figure out who won. Okay. Cool. Okay. So, just going, just going back a little bit, the premise of the show, a hundred uh, people, different physiques, different genders, different, races they say that's uh, they did a very bad job of that <laughs> if this was a scientific study um race would 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 have been seen as a statistically insignificant part of the research design um i believe there was like one like there was one black participant and one like white american participant and then everybody else was from south korea um, which I I'm just sure, assumed they were all South Korean. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm sure they have different like ethnic gradations in South Korea itself as well. Um, so that's the sort of basic premise of the show. Talked about the first challenge, which is just hanging for as long as you could. Um, the subsequent challenges after that all sort of like tested different parts of um, of strength or of physicality. So the second one was they um uh were separated into teams of five and so it was a five on five challenge where they had to transport as much sand as possible from a sand pit up uh, a set of stairs and across a bridge that they also had to construct and then when they got yeah. across that bridge they would throw it down a tube that looked like fucking mario and luigi tube and so they did that for 12 minutes for as long as they possibly could and this was where they started being like, they didn't tell them what the challenge was. And so a lot of the teams were like, we got to get the most dudes as possible on the same team. And it turns out that that wasn't actually like useful because extremely heavy people struggled going across the bridge because it was quite flimsy. Um, 
the challenge required a lot of speed. And so like, uh, like women crossfitters and also like MMA fighters did really well in the sand challenge and actually knocked out a lot of the top sort of like, or, or the favorites at least. Um, the episode was called underdogs because a lot of the underdogs actually beat the, the sort of higher ranked players. So the challenge after that is nuts. And this was where they were trying, this was where they were trying to weed out. I think a lot of the sort of flimsier people, um, they had to move a two ton ship across, a like a, I don't know, maybe 30 meter, uh, like sand, sandy beach, and then up an incline. And so the first okay. thing, the first thing they had to do was the ship itself was 1.5 tons. And there were a bunch of barrels that were all like a hundred kilograms that were scattered around the beach. So the first thing they had to do was they had to add more weight to the goddamn ship. <laughs> so they had to <laughs> go get, they had to go get the barrels and then carry them on, put them on the ship. One of them was like, inside of a crate and so you had to get like have one person go smash the crate then the ship was on a platform and you had to roll it across the sand which would be impossible so you had to roll it across a series of logs that were like untethered so you had to take it off of the platform put it onto the logs and then as you progressed people had to go back get the logs put it in front and keep doing that until you got to the incline when you get to the incline you take the rope you wrap it around like a beam and then you start to pull the fucking thing up. The wow. amount of strain in these people's like faces was incredible, especially this guy in the middle here. Um, uh, the bigger sort of bodybuilder guy, his team did it the fastest they did it in 13 minutes. The other teams did it in like 20 and 22 minutes. So, I mean, this guy was hauling ass. He's extremely <laughs> strong. So then that br brought the competition down to about 25 people. Um, the thing that they did after that, though, was they took all of the losers and they gave them a way back into the competition. And the way back into the competition was they had to hold on a pulley a weight that was 40% of their body weight. And mm, interesting. Which you would think would be like, you would think that 40% of your body weight would lead you to, or it would, that it would be equal somehow, but when and it definitely isn't. So this is interesting because the man versus bear challenges, one of them was bear rolls a giant barrel. that's like 1200 pounds or 1500 pounds or something. And he's like, just on his front, his back tall, was having a grand old time rolling this thing. And while he's doing that, the human, has to roll a barrel that is five times their own body weight. And uh, the, yeah. and it's always five times their body weight, whatever their body weight is. Yeah. Um, and so the bigger guys, the big bodybuilders, the big football players, have these enormous, like incredibly heavy barrels that they just can't move. It's just physically, it becomes exponential. They can't move it anymore. Whereas the little crossfitters and the little you know army engineers and the MMA folks generally can move it because then it's only you know 600 pounds or something um, yeah. so they have a little bit of extra so that that 40 percent, yeah depending on who you are that's a big difference yeah 
Yeah. So that and that that proved to be the case where the people, the lighter people generally won. And so five people were saved. That was like quest 2.5. And so then the penultimate quest, it was a series of like uh, loosely based sort of like mythological exercise. Like labors of Hercules. Uh, well, one of like of different sorts of figures. So one of them was the labor of Atlas. And so you, they had to pick up a 50 kilo ball or boulder and hold it up for as long as, as, as they could. Um, this was the point at which a lot of people that when they reached the end, they did know what they had to do. So a lot of people would kind of sacrifice themselves for their teammates because at this point they had gotten close to their teammates and shit like that and the team had to come to like a democratic consensus over who would participate in which one of the five challenges and so oh that's cool yeah so like uh one of the like uh one of the women decided to to take a stab at the atlas thing because like nobody on that team was strong it was just a bunch of like you know leaner guys and then her and she was like I don't think I can win any of the other ones. I'll just try this one. <laughs> and, you know, she could, she couldn't pick up the fucking thing. It was too heavy. Um, and same thing for another guy who was like, he was, he was a bodybuilder and he was jacked as shit, but like none of his strength was functional. It was all like, mm -hmm. it was all like glam muscle shit. And so he was able to pick it up, but he only had it up for like, like five ten minutes or something like that before it just like completely gave out so then this dude in the middle held it up yeah for who for our listeners at home here um is kind of built like a bear you know yeah. this is your he's got the the big band of fat around his stomach which is as we know so his internal organs don't tear as he picks right. something up like as you get super super strong there's a certain kind of like strong man fat that is, you know, functional. It protects your organs. It allows you to pick things up without you know, ripping in half, ripping yourself in half. Um, that's why, like the you know, the mountain. This guy looks like the mountain. That yeah. kind of body type. Yeah, and what what is interesting about him is that he competed in strongman competitions. Um, but he he competed in strongman competitions, but he is now just a car dealer who does like fitness recreationally does he just pick up the cars and like hand them to you <laughs> i'd be probably could um <laughs> and so all of these people won one of the one of these sort of uh labors challenges so he won the atlas challenge he held that fucking thing up for like two hours um and wow. was could probably have done it for longer it was really really impressive um this guy right here, sort of a more slender um, person, he is a mountain climber, but he's only been mountain climbing for a, a little bit. His job is a he works as like a park ranger who does like rescue missions when people get trapped like on mountains. And so as part of his job, he has to climb a bunch of shit. And so he uh won the uh, first challenge of of hanging for like however long he did it like 20 minutes or something like that um and so the labor that he did was um based off of icarus and the idea was that you had to um stay on a rope that was continuously sort of like uh descending 
And so it was just, it's just kind of like, uh, you just had to keep climbing the rope for as long as possible. Okay. Like a conveyor belt. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, so fucking just like, he demoralized everybody because he climbed up really, really quickly. And then he like, he like tied the rope in this weird knot around his feet and was just kind of hanging there. And it looked like he could have just stayed there forever. Like he was doing it one handed and he was just kind of chilling. And everybody else was like dying. They couldn't fucking. <laughs> um, so uh, he won that challenge. Um, this dude in the in the in the back here, his challenge was uh, a challenge of Ouroboros. And so there are four people on a track all all begin equidistant from one another. And the idea is that they have to run around the track until one person catches all of the other people. And so, okay, cool. Yeah. And so essentially it's about endurance. Um, There were some different types of strategies like discuss, like maybe just sprint and grab everybody at the beginning. Like maybe that's possible. And one guy did try to do that and gassed. Um, Another guy had like, broken his ribs during this the ship competition and so mm-hmm. he was running around the track with broken ribs and he got all fucked up um this dude over here who is a oh, this guy by the way the guy who won is like a crossfitter um but he also was part of the uh, uh national snowboarding team um this guy over that's here that's interesting yeah and that's that's so interesting because that is like a you know the jokes about you know humans evolved as predators to be endurance based and like all other predator animals basically don't do that you know they sprint they you know quick strike um and so you know the monkeys that came down out of the trees and started running the whole the whole thing that separated us was we run and we can just keep running we just have the endurance and we'll just keep running at like a slowish pace but then all of the other creatures get tired and then we finally catch up with them and they're gassed and we're not and we hit him with a rock or something yeah um, so that's the fascinating like the strategy about maybe just sprint is not a good idea <laughs> it's like just absolutely goes against every bit yeah. of human evolutionary uh, strategy yeah but I, I the the guy who did who was like maybe i'll do this was pretty much asked out like knew he had no endurance knew he he couldn't run steadily for a, a long distance and so it was kind of like the all this is my only gambit is to is to try to get this shit done quickly and he did eliminate one person but after that he was just totally gassed um so this dude is uh on the on the far left here is a loser former loser um and competed in the olympics and is far removed from that um he participated in a obstacle course i can't remember what the fucking god associated with this one was um i think it was proteus or some shit like that um and prometheus it was prometheus because they were like uh fire uh porches essentially that you had to grab and so to jump over a wall and sprint in sand and grab a staff um and there it four people started and there's three staffs and so you have to grab 
the idea being that there would potentially be like wrestling happening and people like fighting over the staffs and shit like that. This was kind of a bust because this guy was so goddamn fast that it wasn't even a competition. Like he just grabbed the torch every time for the, it, it, the like just smoked everybody. And so, <laughs> which is like also crazy because he did that. And then this guy held up a 50 kilogram fucking boulder for two hours. <laughs> and that wasn't even the hardest one. The hardest one was this fellow over here who was a CrossFitter who he competed and he's built like a professional wrestler like he's got yeah. his thighs are huge he's jacked um but look you know it's that kind of like functional it's not total show muscles it yeah. looks like he could you know squat and pick up every other man on this in this picture yeah it, and he's strong as shit because his challenge was the hardest challenge it was the trial of sisyphus and so what they had to do was roll a hundred kilo boulder up an incline, reach the top, roll and, you know, send it down the incline, go back down the incline, take the ball up and go up the other side and do that as long as you can in 40 second increments. And so you had 40 seconds to essentially uh, get the ball to the other side and rest, recover, and then do it all over again. And they just kept going until somebody, until there was the last man standing. And that one, when I was watching it, was like the most sort of like physically painful one. Like those dudes were really struggling. Um, and so he won that one and kind of came in as sort of like the favorite. And so for this final one, they had four different um, trials that they had to do back to back to back. The first one is the one that's pictured here where they're all tied to one another. And so they have to um, go get their key and unlock the padlock that's that's keeping them harnessed. The last person to do that is eliminated. The one after that is a really interesting one. There are these black uh these tiles that are black on one one side, white on another side. And um they're split up into twos and the object of the game is to have as many of your color um flipped over by the end of five minutes. And so they had to go go around and just keep flipping these goddamn things over until uh, time expired. And then the losing team had to go head to head with one another. So the teammates had to face off to see who would be eliminated from that. And they got three minutes to do that. Then the one after that was a, a, a this is like a hell to me. Um, it was a triangular um, uh, sort of like relay thing where there was a line and it wasn't that long. It was like five meters or something like that. And there were bells on each side. And so when the clock started, you had to run over, hit the bell and then run back and hit the bell. So you had 12 seconds to start to do that. So one uh, uh, back and forth every 12 seconds mm -hmm. progressively the time got shorter 11 seconds 10 seconds 9 seconds 8 seconds and so that like short distance that they had to do after like 50 goes through it progressively faster and got more tired yeah. more tired and again they didn't get a break in between any of these challenges right so as they're progressing they're getting even more exhausted 
the final challenge between the last two contestants was pulling a rope that is tied to like a uh that's like wrapped around like a a thing so it's like wrapped around in a ball it's called the infinite rope challenge and so you just have to keep pulling the rope until there's no rope left and you don't know how much of the, the rope is the rope is also like very heavy and there's a ton of resistance there and so the last two competitors are just pulling on the rope and pulling on the rope and pulling on the rope and pulling on the rope. With that all in mind, who would you say of these five individuals won physical 100? Huh. Based purely on a superficial look at their uh, yeah. body type yeah, yeah, yeah. and also their um, backgrounds. And if you need to be reminded of their backgrounds, I'll I'll tell you. Okay, so we've got the strongman guy. Yes. We've got the the loser. I don't even understand why you have to be like super physically fit for luge. I thought aren't you like lying down in a in a tube? Yeah. Or on a little sled. Well, so that's what he he I, I learned a lot about luging because he <laughs> and that he says is a common misconception. Like losers are have to be like incredibly athletically fit and they have to have really strong cores too because they're like facing a lot of like like intense speed and they're navigating mm -hmm. all of the shit so their bodies are like extremely toned um and they exercise muscles that most people don't exercise because if you just imagine what they're doing it's like a weird strenuous activity that is like nothing anybody typically does Right, because you're guiding this sled with like the force of your ankles or something. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like so yeah. fucking weird. Okay. So yeah, um, loser, surfboarder. Okay, right, surfing, and then you've got the emergency oh, services sorry, sorry, sorry. climber, snowboarder, not surfboarder, snowboarder. Got it. Yeah. Um, they and then right. emergency services climbing man and the uh, like CrossFit. Yeah, CrossFit. Hmm. Superficially, I'm going to go with uh, CrossFit looks like a pro wrestler guy. The guy who came in as a favorite. That was the runner up. Okay. So you're close. Cool. So you made it to the final two. Nice. So who beat him? Uh, I think the um, the uh, the surfing, the, the border in the back. Yeah, he won. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he won. The 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 guy you think would win, the two guys you think would win did win. Like the loser ended up not having enough endurance to finish the the running stuff. Um, mm -hmm. the strongman didn't have like he started wheezing during the um like the the tile flipping challenge. Like he just couldn't do it. It was just too Yeah, that makes sense. He's just he's carrying around too much of his own weight to be able to keep going for that long. Yeah, and then the mountain climber didn't finish his challenge because he was just lighter than everybody else. Like everybody else, yeah, he's to just too small. Yeah, um, it was strange. This show was really interesting to me because it was like a very, it was a very, because I'm used to watching like American competition shows, and what they do is they let, oftentimes the sort of personalities of the contestants um rig some of the results of the game and so it's like well mm -hmm. we really want this person to stay what can we do to make this person stay 
of those five guys I showed you, only one of them was interesting. That was <laughs> the the car dealer guy. Like he was like he he actually reminded me a lot of Teddy, like a very strong, strong person, just like inherently like very strong, huge guy. Um, who was like very gentle, very nice. And also like very funny and self-deprecating, like all the other strongman dudes who came into the competition were all like dickheads. And they were like, you know, like, like turn a big time and sun everybody in the show. And then that like got their asses handed to them in the most basic challenges and stuff. <laughs> this guy was like pretty humble. He was a good team leader. People liked him. Um, and he was like cheering people on who were like going against him and shit like that. And he single-handedly sort of willed his team in that like two-ton ship moving challenge. This was like really, um, his arc was just like very interesting. The other four guys are barely in the show. Like they, hmm. they don't make any impression in the talking heads. And so like in an American show, as those, as those dudes are hurtling toward the finale, there's a production meeting and they go, how the fuck do we get these guys off the show? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, we either need to like really up their charisma somehow and shoot a lot more talking head footage with them or we're kicking them out in favor of somebody who's more interesting. Yeah, and it was really weird that they didn't do that. They were just like, this is the game. Whoever wins the game wins the game. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure there was like production fuckery somewhere, but like truly there were certain characters that I saw in that show who were like, oh man, this is like the greatest story this is the greatest story arc this would be like a triumphant thing like there's a guy um who is uh a, a, like an mma legend um he's 48 years old so he's 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 sort of semi-retired he'll take a fight now and then but he's like royalty he's absolute royalty inside like people love him he's the like our sort of randy couture type of figure and so sure. people were starstruck when they saw him and he made it pretty far. And his whole thing was like, I want to show, you know, people, I want to show people that middle-aged dudes can also do this type of shit. Cause you know, he was almost 50 and he made it into the top 20. No better story arc than to have like one of the most famous dudes in your country go onto this game show and win the game show <laughs> like that. Mm -hmm. it would be something that you would push for, but now nah, he lost. Um, and there was another, um, another person who lost very early. And I was trying to figure out if we have an equivalent to this, but I don't think we do. Um, his nickname was Agent H. And his whole thing is that he is a famous special forces officer. And I was like, everybody Wait, uh, slow down. <laughs> yeah, like in America, the point of special forces is that you're a faceless, like, you know ninja of some, of some kind like you don't with the exception of i don't know chris kyle i guess wasn't that a special forces guy that's like a big yeah but uh punisher though like, like we don't like him right i mean he's a yeah right he's a he's a um a rallying cry for nazis now um right. but so some people like him <laughs> yeah right um is he who shot Osama bin Laden? I don't even remember. Like the like the Delta Force folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're all essentially faceless. Isn't that a secret though? Who shot Osama? Bin Might Laden? be. Like I feel like you're not supposed to know this shit. 
Oh no, there's apparently <laughs> somebody there's a name here. There's a name here. But the fact that we have to Google it is fucking right. Yeah. Part of the point, right? So exactly. It's weird. It's weird that a guy a guy walks into a room full of 99 of you know his country folk and they're all like it's him the delta force guy (laughs) yeah like america only has fictional delta force special forces people and a lot of them who are famous like characters but no real special forces people because it's the opposite of their job yeah 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 (laughs) it would be interesting I i wonder what the ratings are like because I, I would like a season two, but I would also like an international competition. Um, hmm. The like, I mean, it would be to be hard to choose 100 folks, but, you know, it, it, there are just so many. I don't know. There's just so many other variables that were left sort of untouched um, in that design of that show. And it was a really fascinating thing to watch. And again, I watched it as sort of motivation for like exercising. So I would exercise while I watched it. Um, And, you know, of the kinds of things that I do watch, that was the most, like I had the best workouts watching that shit, obviously, because (laughs) I was like, there is no way I feel and like even like a modicum of how bad they feel. Because I'm just over here right. like kettlebells and shit. That dude is holding a boulder. <laughs> That's hell. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. He can do that. I can do these kettlebells. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great show. Great show. Glad I watched Very it. Cool. Like, one of the few things that I would ever say is like a good thing on Netflix. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't remember... The last time, I mean, at Seinfeld's on Netflix, and I'm working through that slowly, but truly, you know, even the, we haven't even gotten back to the most recent season, season of The Witcher. I've been mostly on HBO Max. So, actually, speaking of, because one of the few things that's on Netflix um, that we've now been through a couple of times is Supernatural. And occasionally, it's important that I issue a formal apology. I did this for Stephen Amell when I, when I spent a lot of time trashing him and then realized that, in fact... I'm a big fan of Stephen Amell, so we're going to do it again here because um, when Supernatural ended, we talked very briefly about the fact that one of the reasons it may have ended when it did was that uh, Jared um, Padalecki, who plays Sam Winchester, uh, wanted to go off and reboot Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki are both actually from Texas, Um you know, speaking of famous kind of special forces type of people, Walker, Texas Ranger is this kind of urban legend, um, right. American tall tale almost, especially, you know, being um, the, uh, I can't even remember the name of the dude that played him. Chuck uh, Norris. <laughs> Chuck Norris, thank you. Like part of the legend of Chuck Norris is the character of the the heightened realism of, of Walker, Texas Ranger. So I was just goofing about that. Um the first season of Walker is actually really good, which is bizarre to me. Um, we threw it on because I was doing something else, and we'll have it on in the background. Like, this is going to be schlock, but, like, we like this actor, um, and, you know, we'll see. Well, it turns out that because Jared's been on Supernatural for long enough to have the kind of cachet to, like, make this production himself, essentially, 
um, he put all of his creative cachet into this really interesting love letter to Texas. And he's a progressive, you know, Hollywood or Vancouver type. He's a theater kid. He's, um, you know, a liberal goofball, basically. So he's, but he's also very rooted in Texas culture. And so the show is more than a, you know, the format of Walker, Texas Ranger was essentially like Kung Fu, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. rolls into town, some kind of adventure every week, some, you know, big sh- shootout, whatever. Yeah. Um, the the maverick myth of the lone gunman saving the day, all of the bullshit that has perpetuated, you know, a libertarian kind of hero culture in American mythology. This show starts there and basically makes you it's it's a little bit self-referential about every walker the character of walker has a reputation that's um jared plays this texas ranger he's a maverick he's a bad boy he you know breaks the rules or bends the rules to get what he needs to to do done um and then the show immediately complicates that and it's all the first season is all about this has to change you can't keep going off the the you know going off the walls um, going coloring outside the lines, it's not going to work like that anymore. So his wife gets murdered. He is horribly uh, depressed. Immediately throws himself into undercover work. You know, lo- nearly loses his mind and loses his identity to his undercover persona. Instead, comes back and tries to put his life back together and gets assigned a new partner, who's the first. Uh, Latina Texas Ranger and together they sort of chart this course of what does it mean to try to police yourself Uh, you know their Texas Rangers are the cops that have super police powers so they will do things like investigate other police forces Mm. and override things when they're dirty cops and so it is a really interesting investigation of toxic masculinity, of specifically like toxic kind of Texas cowboy culture. Um, there's a lot of time spent on his family. He's got um, a brother who's uh, the assistant district attorney and who is gay. And um, he's got this like extended family who are dealing with their own issues. And it really looks, it's written as very clearly he loves his home. He loves his culture and he understands that it's like fundamentally broken and wants to kind of dig himself out of what does it mean to kind of drag that kind of cowboy bullshit into the 21st century. And so it's it's beautiful. And every week in that first season is him just suffering and failing, (laughs) doing something wrong and like having trouble dealing with his kids because he's a single dad now and making mistakes and leaning on his like maverick bullshit and everybody going, you can't do it that way anymore. Um, and it's really, it's a beautiful, it's clearly got a message and a thing to say. It's, it's very well done. Um, you know, under the guise of police procedural, it's, it's asking interesting questions. Second season, first couple episodes in is terrible. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> it, it's, uh, they put his partner undercover and she's doing her scenes are all like a very uh, it's either a love letter or a shameless ripoff of Fast and the Furious. <laughs> she's like stealing cars and yeah, yeah. <laughs> looks like um, is it Michelle Rodriguez who yeah. is yeah like that. She's basically just that character. 
Um, and they don't really know what to do next. They had a very clear dramatic through line for he's trying to figure out who killed his wife. There's a big conspiracy about who killed his wife and um, how is he going to deal and not be like a shell, a broken shell of a person. And then the second season, it's like, well, we, maybe they didn't know they were going to get a second season, but they are feeling kind of aimless. So I'll, I'll let you know if it gets any better. And they got renewed for season three because it's he's attached to it. It's a CW show. CW is moving, interestingly moving, you know, with the sale of the next star to a slightly older leaning, more conservative audience. Right. Which is fascinating because what I'm thinking is somebody greenlit the reboot of Walker and went, oh, it's Walker, Texas Ranger. We don't have to censor or pay attention to that show at all. Give them money for a couple of horses and a couple of explosions. It's going to be copaganda. Don't worry about it. And so he had free reign to write this really nuanced, complex and complicated portrait of his home in season one. And season two feels much more focus grouped. And like somebody went, oh, this was popular. Let's start like tweaking it and making sure it appeals to everybody and doesn't really have anything to say anymore. Just have you seen? We'll see if it digs itself out of it. But have you seen or heard of the spinoff? It seems like there's a spinoff called Walker. Mm, yeah, well, it's a good point. So, yes, it's called um, Walker Independence or Windy uh, for everybody on Tumblr. Um, and, you know, we for a while, uh, like we're seeing people again, the folks who like supernatural will follow these actors into their other projects. That's how we finally caught up with the boys. Um, we're watching the prequel to supernatural, the Winchesters that Jensen Ackles is producing. And is also in somehow through like Barry Allen style timeline bullshit. Um, they started recommending both Wendy and Walker and Walker. And it's like this, I'm not going to watch this. Like, Texas Ranger bullshit. And then it turns out the first season was good. Um, yes. Yeah, so Windy is late in the first season. They reveal that the Walker family, because they're what the Walker character is already this kind of American tall tale. Uh, the Walkers used to ride with Wyatt Earp way back in the day. And so like truly linking Walker to the full history of American tall tale gunslinger heroes. Mm -hmm. And this w w Walker Independence is actually a old school Western with the founding of this little town in Independence and this woman who's like Walker's grandmother, great grandmother, something like that, um, found helping to build this town and like the lawmen and the the outlaws and the people that run it. So we haven't started that yet. Um, the woman who played. Oliver Queen's daughter from the future uh, in the later seasons of Arrow uh, sure. is, yeah, right, sure, whatever. And, you know, that's that's how memorable she was. And that whole character and that whole concept um, is the lead in Windy. Okay. I'm not all that excited about that, but it's got Jared's stamp all over it. And so I would probably give it a shot, given the fact that the first season of Walker just Walker was good. Yeah, all this so, shit. Apologies to Jared. Good for him. Yeah, all this shit is so like. There's already eighty episodes of this shit in <laughs> just three years, like including 
this the third season, which is about to finish, is about to wrap up, and the spinoff. There's about yeah, and eighty is an overestimation. Like sixty, sixty episodes of television, which is still like a lot. Um, yeah, CW is like a fucking production powerhouse. Uh, can't speak. And they're one of the few. Well, right. And that's the thing is you can never quite speak to the quality, but you can always speak to the quantity of the stuff that the CW spits out. And there, it feels like they're some of the final folks who are committing to full seasons of television. Um, as opposed to, you know, your little nine episode, 10 episode premiere prestige thing or the miniseries or the limited series. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, scripted TV that's actually 20 to 22 episodes long is basically what CBS does it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I will say that there is like the, the CW episodes are like extremely short because they are while they are hour long shows. Um, and I suspect this is because the CW is what it is. Um they have a lot more commercials than like other network shows. Cause I remember when I was watching arrow that the episodes were ended up being like 40 to 42 minutes long. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's classic. That's like 18 to 20 minutes of commercials. If you watch it's so funny that that's insane. Cause that is like old school, how TV, all TV used to be. I, is it? I mean, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All TV was like that. No, it's it's still longer because a a sitcom that airs on network television is like 24 minutes long, which would be like six minutes of commercials. So double that, you got like 48 minutes long, 12 minutes of commercials. I think that the CW has way more commercials than is normal for television shows certainly feels like it and when we were watching you know the flash on it on actual tv they had started to because we had a dvr at the time they'd started to do some like nonsense where they do what looked like a station identification and like you know the with a flash logo and then it would be halfway through a commercial break and they'd go back to a commercial after that and usually traditionally that little station identification is right before you go back to the actual show so it would get you to pause it or unmute it and then they get you with a commercial. <laughs> yeah, they're tricking you to watch the goddamn commercials. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the 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 idea that that is on an hour long block and that the runtime is much closer to thirty minutes than it is to an hour to me is like insane. I and I don't know. I mean, they don't really get good ratings, so they must be eating up like the competition on streaming or wherever they end up. Because I remember I didn't watch Arrow on, I tried to watch Arrow live when it came out because I was reading the Green Arrow New 52 and it was all over the fucking ads for that. Mm-hmm. For those books. And I tried watching it live and it was just like so plotting and boring. And they always put commercials I mean, and they do this on purpose, but they do it like right before the action is about to begin and you just kind of get deflated. <laughs> so you're just like yeah. building up to it's like some kind of action. And then six minutes later, it, it you come back and then, and then it starts. 
And so it was just like impossible to get into or to develop any kind of flow around. But so when it got on Netflix, I remember I finished the first two seasons very quickly, started the third season. And that's where I, I really started dragging ass because more so the quality of the show. But it is weird. Yeah, as soon as Deathstroke leaves. But you're totally right that um, they're basically impossible to watch with commercials because they're peppered in at the worst possible times. And we powered through season one of Walker in like a weekend because they're, you know, it's like potato chips. They're right, 40 right. minutes probably. Um, and that's on HBO Max. And HBO Max is now doing, it's like a, it feels like maybe a year behind, but it's not too much different than the way the seasons used to show up on Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of months delay, a season's worth delay. Um, and now that I'm, I imagine they've limited or stopped their uh, deals with Netflix, that stuff's starting to come to HBO Max instead. And it's... I mean, it's until we've sort of ground to a little bit of a halt with season two, but it's that same, it's very much like watching Arrow of, you know, what horrible thing is going to happen to this man this week? Let's watch him suffer and I can just do that all day. Yeah, no, it that that whole thing has has sort of been resuscitated because they had a bunch of shows like that, like Kung Fu is like that in the, the David Carradine show where mm -hmm. just kind of walking around, getting into hijinks and fucking all kinds of dramas and shit and you had that sort of like episodic thing that weirdly the cw sort of revived a form of television that had been dead for you know, decades um yeah even to the point of actually rebooting kung fu itself yeah yes yes uh which i have not seen but i've heard is 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 pretty good um yeah hbo max there's a ton of stuff on there that people say is really good and i'm always like when did you watch that there's no time to, there there's no time to there's barely a ton of time to watch the last of us let alone kung fu which is like buried, mm -hmm. buried like deep in the catalog of fucking uh hbo max um but yeah that's wild i'm, I'm so i'm glad you're enjoying it something that nobody's enjoying um or maybe just us two is the continued contracts talks around Lamar Jackson. Um, oh, yeah. So how do you feel about the monk? Um, he's a, a fucking idiot. Like he's so stupid. He gave a press conference. Uh, we're talking about the offensive coordinator, Jeff Munkin. Is that his name? Tony, Ted Munkin, Tony Munkin. I don't know. I don't Ted know what Munkin. the man's name is. Insert like 50 year old white guy's name followed by Munkin. So it could be Mark Munkin, Ted Munkin, Jim Munkin, something. Todd. It's Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin. I was very close. <laughs> um, so he he did a press conference, and so essentially the the way that it works is like this: the um the franchise tag. Do you know how the franchise tag works? Sort of. I have to look it up. Let's explain it for our listeners because it's complicated. It's extremely complicated. So there are two different types of franchise tax. Um, and if you're a fan of the NBA, this is basically the difference between restricted free agency and unrestricted free agency. Um, so the franchise tag that would sort of um, correspond to restricted free agency is a franchise tag where... Um, you would be able to pay a guaranteed sum to a player who would then be able to uh, 
enter the open market and field new offers. And so at mm-hmm. Lamar's level, that franchise tag is about $32 million. And he could go to the Miami Dolphins and they could give him a $250 million contract guaranteed. And then the Ravens would then have to either match it or ditch Lamar. And so that's one uh, scenario. The Ravens are absolutely not doing that franchise tag. The second franchise tag is like making him like a restricted free agent. So the way that they determine the value of it is the mean um, annual salary or the median annual salary for the position that you're playing. So for a quarterback, that's about $45 million. Uh, And that $45 million has to be guaranteed. With that, they lock up Lamar for one year. He can't go into the open market. So that's the franchise tag that they will likely use. Um, Then he is actually just forced to play for them. If he wants to play for anybody, it's got to be them for that year. Yes, but he does not have to sign the franchise tag. If he doesn't sign the franchise tag, he won't get paid. Um, But the franchise tag also has a lot of player protections in it. So he does not have like in your contract, it set, it stipulates like what your obligation to OTAs or offseason training uh, sessions is. Mm-hmm. Um, it also stipulates uh, your participation in training camp. It also stipulates your participation in meetings and all of this shit. Franchise tag has no such stipulations. And also he doesn't have to sign it until like early September, which is, right before this this the, the season starts and so he doesn't have to participate in any of that um and so the it would be in everybody's best interests if he gets a contract whether it's a contract from the ravens doesn't matter it would be in his best interest it would be in the ravens best interest it would be in whatever team he ends up with it, if including the ravens best interest if he signs a contract because being a franchise tag is not fun Um, and it creates like all this animosity and weirdness. Um, and it, it, it gives a lot of like, it hasn't worked yet. All of the players who have been franchise tagged, um, have kind of sucked. Dak Prescott was franchise tagged. That has not worked out in Dallas so much. So that Jerry Jones is trying to finagle a way to draft a quarterback this year because there are a lot of very promising quarterbacks coming up in the draft. Um, and so the the idea that they floated was to trade him to the Bears for their first round, for, for the first pick in the draft, which would be crazy. Why would the Bears do that? But like... Yeah, Bears don't need a quarterback unless they're going to give him to us. <laughs> Jerry Jones is a crazy fucking guy. Uh, he'll do anything. Um, another person who's franchise tag, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is not doing very well. I mean, he has a lot of like, I mean, it reminds me a lot, honestly, of Lamar Jackson. Ton of regular season success. Yeah, a lot of success in the regular season. It looks, does these heroic things in the, for the Vikings in the regular season, and then bounces out of the playoffs. Yeah. So the oftentimes you sort of um live long enough to see your quarterback become the villain uh, if you mm-hmm. tag them. And so what then what does the market look like? So the reports are that the Ravens are about a hundred million dollars away from what Lamar wants to land on. And so they offered so much money. 
$250 million, $133 million guaranteed. Now, that is a disrespectful offer on the part of the Ravens. Um, and, and the only reason it's... Would you a, call it unprofessional even? <laughs> I mean, it's business, right? I mean, so it is... It is professional, but it's also business. He should counter with a different number. Uh, I think he countered with Deshaun Watson's contractor bust, and they're not going to pay that, right? So the other thing that you have to look at is who else received guaranteed money? Well, Russell Wilson received guaranteed money, which was like about $170 million, and Kyler Murray received guaranteed money, which was about $180 million. I don't think it is debatable that Kyler and Russell Wilson are worse than Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, certainly you would have to pay him more guaranteed money than that. The Ravens already know whether or not they will do that. They already know whether or not they will pay him more than Kyler got. And so now it's just a matter of, uh, when are they going to admit it to all of us? Because that (laughs) they haven't come up from the one thirty three, and they haven't passed Kyler's money. Right. And so, until until we hear an offer of like 195 or 200 which i think would be fair because that's what the market has dictated if the ravens are keen on keeping lamar if we don't hear a, a 200 million dollar offer and then have him reject that and say i'm not going for anything less than the deshaun then the next thing we're going to hear is that he's been traded to the Chicago Bears for Justin Fields the number 1 pick in the 2023 draft and then a slew of other picks down the line yeah, and so what did the Ravens gain by stalling? Are they trying to make Lamar sweat and like break? They they are probably having the most frustrating conversations that have ever been uh, recorded between human beings. Like they're <laughs> talking to Lamar Jackson and his mom, and they're telling yeah. him, they're telling him things like you cannot stay. You're Miss Jackson. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Your son cannot stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're saying. She is probably not taking it well. <laughs> like, it's fucking crazy. Like, it, this is going to be a story until the Ravens just fucking kill it. And it's the only way they can kill it is offer 200 million guaranteed or trade him. And it's funny, every single Instagram post or Facebook post or social media post of any kind by the Ravens, anytime they announce anything, the first 25 comments are, pay Lamar, sign Lamar, what's going on with Lamar? Uh, Press conference for Munkin and a couple, you know, he said a little quote about, um, you know, we get paid to score. Like, yes, you do. That's correct. And some people are taking that like, oh, finally, an offensive coordinator who wants to, like, focus on scoring points. That's exciting. And then after those first two, it's all, okay, but what about Lamar? Pay Lamar, pay Lamar. Yeah, I mean... Nobody cares about any Ravens announcement if it's not Lamar-related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that the Ravens do have to... Because, so here's the thing. Lamar is right right now. I think he is right. I think he is in the right to demand more than $133 million guarantee. I don't believe that he will ever have postseason success. Um but that's not the question, right? The question is what's 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 the value that he brings to the team? And I think that it is absolutely more than Kyler Murray um, brings to the Arizona Cardinals. So 
Mm-hmm. I think that the Ravens have to come out and say 200 million guaranteed, 350 million over however many years, 10 years or something like that. Um, that's probably too long. Seven years. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if they do that and he says no, then that's on him. That's a fair deal. Right. And I suspect that if they do that, he will say no. And so th- now, because you think he's not going to budge from his, you know, sky sky high number. Well, it's not sky high. It's Deshaun Watson's number, and Deshaun Watson plays for the Browns, and Lamar Jackson owns the Browns. Like so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of where his head is at. But I think that generally the Ravens organization itself is kind of under the microscope, and they're the ones who are in the wrong here. I think that. Um, a lot of people who know Lamar have made really oblique comments like Shannon Sharp is always on the player side to get the most amount of money possible. Like he will always have these weird asides when he talks about Lamar, where he goes, well, Lamar doesn't listen to anybody, but this is what I would tell him if he did listen to anybody. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, evidently he's just like kind of like a hard headed dude. Um, God. Well, that makes total sense. Like, we don't even know if he ever got vaccinated, right? Like, he's oh, just... we know he didn't. Yeah, we're pretty well, yeah because he's just too stubborn and doesn't listen to people. And it shows on the field too, right? Where like he's a great player, but he'll just rant like, "No, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna go for it," and he's gonna he'll convince Harbaugh to go for it, and everybody else is like, "Just, just let Justin Tucker kick the damn ball." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But all like sports talk radio is talking about the Ravens. They never talk about the Ravens. They didn't talk right. about the Ravens the the year that they won. And there's this like common narrative. I think we texted about it, but this common sort of narrative that the reasons God, I was watching this is like this it must be like this must be what it feels like to be like a Patriots fan or a Kansas City Chiefs fan. To hear people on national television talk about a team that you know very well and to get everything wrong is like <laughs> infuriating. Mm-hmm. I watched a a segment on the show Speak on FS1, which is a pretty good show, where LaShawn McCoy and Joy Taylor both said that the reason that the Ravens won the 2012 Super Bowl was because they had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. No, Both. by that time, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were old. Ray Lewis was running around doing nothing that whole fucking game. He was wearing, yeah. like, he was covered in deer antler spray. He was just out there gumming up the works. He did nothing. The defense sucked shit. Ed Reed was moved, like, two years after that Super Bowl. Like, he was he was out, out of Baltimore, like, soon mm-hmm. thereafter. Like, there's like no institutional knowledge about the Ravens as an organization or like why they won anything. The reason they won was because Joe Flacco went on a historic run as a quarterback in the postseason, which yep. can't replicate. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, so it's so weird to 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 listen to people talk and to listen to them talk about the Ravens. This whole idea that yeah, the the Ravens are doing the thing they've always done, which is 
They're not uh, spending a huge amount of money on the highest position. They are spending and distributing a lot of money on some of the lower positions in order to maximize the efficiency of their defense and also to create a respectable offense, which has won two Super Bowls in the 21st century, which is something that you can't say for many franchises. Um, yeah, we're pretty singular in that regard. It's like the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Steelers, Giants, Ravens. I think that's it. Um, and yeah. the Ravens did it with Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco. So yeah. it's going to be just exhausting to, to continue to see people speculate. And at the end of the day, I think they're going to franchise tag him, and I think that's not going to work out for them. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll just won't play, right? Maybe you think he's going to just hold out, and you know the what the Cowboys will sign him next year or a year after that, or the Jets or something. Well, that's what happened to Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott got franchise tagged, and then he was he was injured, quote unquote. Um, mm -hmm. and just held out during the year he was franchise tagged until they came up with the with an offer. Um, yeah, Eric Mangini was talking about. Um, I think he was talking about when he was, um, one of the uh assistant coaches on the Patriots was saying that, um, there was a there was a player on the team who had an injury, and he was injured and could not play until they worked out a new contract, and then he reported to practice the next day. So that's the kind of like injury that happens okay. when there is a contract extension. Uh -huh. Injury to my ego and my wallet. And I am taking my ball and going home. All right. Yeah. Which again, I mean, fair. Yeah. That's but fair. this is like a fucking horrible game to play. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I, I am, as you said, like um, Shannon Sharp, I want to see these men get paid. I also want to like, see my team succeed and those two things are not always um mutually exclusive luckily <laughs> um, but sometimes they are when it comes to big time position players so we'll see but yeah i mean we talked about this ad nauseum in previous weeks i just don't think lamar is the is the future and it's sad because he's he seems like a nice guy but yeah i mean the, another thing to keep an eye on is that they are currently trying like with every fiber of their being, the Philadelphia Eagles organization is trying to extend Jalen Hurts. Um, and it, it would probably, this is real tricky. It would, it would probably be in his best interest to get paid now rather than later. Um, because as a mobile quarterback, the year he just yeah, had, yeah, yeah, I mean, like the fact that he got hurt this year and didn't win MVP is should for him um, be like uh, illustrative enough where he would take an extension because yeah, that yeah, would like just get the money locked in now because it's not going to get that. This might be his peak this year, made it to the Super Bowl, you know, suffered through an injury. Um, I don't know if it gets better than that for him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, but, but the other thing is bet on yourself. Right. And so <laughs> the, hmm. one of the things that the people say, keep saying about Lamar is somebody's going to pay him that money. And I just can't imagine who they keep saying the Falcons are going to pay him that money. But like, 
are the Falcons going to pay him that money? Yeah, what the five million guaranteed? It has to be Las Vegas, right? Like, who's got that kind of money and cares enough about a name like that? Vegas hasn't even come up in, in in the conversation. It's only been Atlanta and Miami. And Miami's that because that's where Tua retires. Right. Yeah, certainly. And I know obviously Lamar wants to go to Florida. Does he like Atlanta? Is that just like a thing? They're the only team that can pay right now because they're in a hardcore rebuild. And so they're the only oh, team okay. that could give him that contract and not like essentially lose their shirt. Like they could still sign other players around him. It would be like, again, that this is the, the these are the the kinds of things I think your agent would tell you. He doesn't have an agent, right? Right. <laughs> that your agent would probably say the situation in Baltimore is way better than the situation in in Atlanta will be. Atlanta will be a nightmare for you because there's nothing there. That team is going nowhere. You go there, you have even worse help on offense than you do in Baltimore. Also, historically, that is a poorly run organization. Here, you at least have the sort of like Ravens way and culture and shit like that. So your options are take the like take the bag and run to Atlanta and just like live in obscurity like Matt Ryan did for Matt Ryan, like one MVP and shit like that. No one cared about him at all. Like he was just like <laughs> there. Went yep. to a Super Bowl and fucking blew it. Um, or you know, take a little less money and sign with the rate. Like, I, so I don't know. There's just like so much things I think that representation offers. Um, that are being really sort of illustrated right now. I agree. And at some point, some of it's an uh, you know a, a pride thing. Some of it's a you know, look at the other people in my position. I want to get there. It's about respect at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think it must be more about that than the actual money. Cause like, I don't know. I, I stopped losing count after a certain point of how much mo- the difference between X number of hundreds of millions of dollars. And I guess it matters to them. But I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, so there's always DC stuff happening and the uh DC adjacent thing, actually, before we get there, because you mentioned um knock at the cabin last week. I did <laughs> uh, as you know a vehicle for um for Batista. And so I this is only tangentially related, but I happened to go back and finally watch Blockers, uh, a John Cena vehicle, uh pre-pandemic film. Really, really funny. Um mm-hmm. Hadn't seen it until now. Really, so if you haven't seen it, dear listener, this is um, a group of parents um, uh, are seeing their kids off to prom. They stumble on a text exchange between their daughters um, that they're all the daughters are all planning to lose their virginity on prom night. The parents are overprotective and freak out and decide they're going to meddle and stop their kids from having sex. Um, and you know, hijinks ensue. And it's one of these movies that, like, that's a dumb premise and could be totally cringy and like old school you know sex comedy and all of its uh kind of uh, chauvinistic uh horror Mm. this one is really really well put together and you learn 
and they un they unpeel and unpack the layers of what makes each of these parents so nuts and the issues that their kids are having and by the end they all realize that like what is even the big deal and the hang up over sex and it's very progressive and and um but it one cena had been in a bunch of films previously a lot of it was like wwe productions small parts this is one of his first like big he's on the poster like he's in a title card um and he's fantastic and it really speaks to his he doesn't have the same kind of sort of wants to disappear into a character the way I think Batista is is going for um, because he always plays people who are John Cena-esque um, yeah. and his persona, his entertainment persona as separate from his WWE persona who is this sort of like overgrown child in jorts. Um, his persona is much more this he's kind of tragic he's like kind of a sad person he's funny but he's self-deprecating in a way that belies the fact that there's like something kind of deeply lonely about him yeah. um and so it's why james gunn likes him so much i think is that if emotional vulnerability and that sensitivity um in like a big sort of cartoon package um and so all of that is on display in blockers he's delightful um remarkably you know nimble both as an actor and as like a physical person uh for his size and is uh yeah it's a really really heartwarming cute little movie and it was weird watching because it's immediately pre-pandemic and you've got a kid getting like a college acceptance letter and i'm like oh girl your sophomore year is gonna get canceled uh, <laughs> and there's like so many people in the movie at, like college party or you know um prom parties and like crowded hallways and yeah it's a different world but totally worth watching really delightful yeah um <clears throat> the uh interesting note about that that's kind of topical is that one of the uh girls in that in that movie is Catherine newton or played by Catherine newton who is the replacement daughter for paul rudd in ant-man and the yes. and fans are not she happy. that and she is a um i'm very happy she is a alum of supernatural uh plays um the daughter of the man who was possessed by the angel castiel which gives her all kinds of very complicated daddy issues because mm -hmm. this man just walks out on her one day because he's been possessed by an angel and goes i'm not your father and just wanders away and then the vessel the human vessel dies castiel gets exploded a couple of times keeps re getting rebuilt by god um, but the Jimmy Novak, the person that he's uh, possessing, is gone. It's now just an empty vessel. And so this girl who's left behind becomes a hunter, is totally screwed up, um, and has a really interesting journey of having to like deal with the being sort of collateral damage in this war between angels and demons. So she's a really good actress. She's excellent in the film as well people are not happy because they don't like her or her portrayal or what because they recasted uh the actress who was who scott lang reunited with after the snap who was the right mm -hmm. so like they were like there's no reason to recast the part. i see except the i mean Catherine newton is i wouldn't say she's like a big name but she's certainly all you know, coming up 
I mean, I wonder. She's just she's she would just be for an audience who went to see that movie, just the person who played Paul Rudd's daughter. Like if if it was yeah. Anya Taylor Joy, I get sure. it. Like they're the same age and both blonde. I guess Anya could do that role. But like the fact that you 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 took an opportunity away from somebody and gave it to somebody else and there's not any sort of appreciable difference in their ability to act or in their reputation it's like what the fuck is why'd you do that except that like Catherine newton's got a bunch of stunt work background from supernatural maybe uh maybe could do those but you know they have that, a million stunt that, people and that movie doesn't look like there's a lot of practical stunts happening <laughs> yeah that's a fair point i don't think she's doing a whole bunch of fisticuffs so that's a very good point yeah i don't know why they recast it i mean I feel like I don't know what else was on that other woman's resume. You know, I feel like the difference, you know, the difference between, you know, Terrence Howard and Don Cheadle is appreciable. Um, yeah. Her, so her, her name is Emma Furman. She's 21 and Catherine Newton is 27. So arguably like, God, Catherine Newton does not look like she's 27. Well, that's why they cast her to, because she can play younger. Yeah, but like the other the other girl is younger. This yeah, this, why do that at all? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Oh wow! I, mean, I feel really bad for Furman. This is a fucked up thing. So it says uh, it was uh, it was announced in 2020 that she would be replaced in the MCU franchise as Cassie Lang by Catherine Newton. Furman later posted to her Twitter that she only found out that she'd been replaced when the news was made public. Oh, that sucks. This is like very not Marvel to do. Also, and the other reason why this in particular is fucked up is because <laughs> eventually Lily is in the movie. If they yeah, were going to anybody, recast, replace the anti-vax like conspiracy theory nut job who's in your You movie. might as well replace Evangeline Lily with Catherine Newton. Who's actually twenty seven and like could play up? Yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I don't know. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason for this to have happened. Um, yeah, it really, really sucks. But you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll make good. You know, this is also. Yeah, I saw her in the trailers. I'm like, hey, it's that girl. That's great. Because she wasn't in this previously, was she? And the answer is no. But. Yeah, that uh, that sucks. As a, you know, as an actor, you know they they do the snap. Furman's in this role. Like you think you've got it made. Like you're gonna have the convention circuit all locked up for the rest of your life. You're, you know this character's gonna be in the Young Avengers or something. We're good to go. And then just to get dumped and have to hear about it on the news. Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, it doesn't sound like anybody's gonna make it out of that movie. So, you know. <laughs> I'm sure she would have liked to be in it, but uh, that is a train wreck. It's a calamity. Um, it is Marvel's worst rated film since the Eternals, which so for like, you know, which is okay. So Thor, the dark world was pretty poorly rated. And then it takes like seven years before you get, another poorly rated movie in Eternals. And then it takes two years before you get mm -hmm. another poorly. So the the time is 
is is sort of shrinking in between critical flops. Um, that's not good. That can that spells uh, disaster. Uh, it spells a lack of quality control. Spells potentially a lack of ideas and direction. Um, also, there are some inflated Rotten Tomato scores, as uh, we have talked about several Marvel movies um, that I would argue are um, maybe not worse than Eternals, but like on the same level as Eternals in terms of enjoyability. Um, it's yeah, it's really weird. It's like watching some kind of like behemoth crumble. Uh, it's strange. Yeah, the anime movies to me have always been fine, I guess. You know, like deeply underwhelming. And, you know, the first one was enjoyable enough and I never thought about it again until the second one came out. And then the second one when we talked about it, like it's it's in this very strange spot where much like the first Captain Marvel movie, everybody's waiting for another big event and we've got this kind of detour. Yeah. Captain Marvel, to its credit, is doing its own thing is very good. Um, at least the first time through rewatching doesn't hold up quite as well. Um, that, but you could say the, that these Marvel movies, there, there are, few well, that's the problem movies. with the exception, maybe yeah. of only the Captain America movies. Um, I would they say don't there are, hold up to rewatching. There are a couple that hold up to rewatching for me. I think I, I wouldn't say I, I don't, I don't love the first Avenger. I think winter soldier is great. I think civil war is really bad. Like I rewatched that movie. I think it's very bad. Um, hmm. A lot of the Avengers movies, I can't rewatch. What's the best yeah. Avengers movie? Age of Ultron is terrible. Endgame is fucking awful. I think it's Infinity War. Infinity War is pretty good. The first Avengers is like, it was so cool the first time I watched it because it's like, wow, they did this. This is crazy. But going back, it looks horrible and it's like not very entertaining or fun weirdly yeah, no that's true and this is part of the problem with a lot of this kind of behemoth the, the disney the marvel and the star wars is a lot of it is novelty and if you know if it, it there there's this inflated pressure of you gotta see it because you're gonna get spoiled and all the cool new stuff and all the reveals and all the easter eggs and if that is it and it's like a one you know a disposable product and it doesn't have rewatch value and it wasn't actually good the first time either <laughs> right <laughs> yeah um yeah no i don't know the mcu is like is like weird right now it's in the space where yeah. they tried to set up jonathan majors as the next big bad i don't know so this is what i have read and 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 this is pretty this to be is, clear you have not seen this film yet correct i haven't seen it yet planning on going we will okay so we will talk about it potentially with teddy um i will not see it until it comes to disney plus i'm not paying for that nonsense but we will talk about it again uh, once it's on disney plus so um yeah jonathan majors so in addition to the movie being bad what i have read is that jonathan majors performance is horrible oh uh, no and that is it happens shit this shit happens like you can't win them all. He was like a fantastic in devotion. Apparently he's mm -hmm. phenomenal in Creed three. He's, uh, it was really good for me and the harder they fall. Like he's had a bunch of W's in a row. Sometimes you get a fucking L. And so like, wouldn't surprise yeah, and me if he did a shitty job in the movie. 
And also, I think about the other stuff he's been in, and special effects heavy, mm, not to the same extent. Like, even like um, uh, Cthulhu World, that is not what that show is called. Lovecraft Country Country. (laughs) is uh, a lot of practical effects there. Um, Yeah, he either works on sets or on location. Never a soundstage, which is really hard to act in. And behind a blue mask and doing a bunch of floating and energy balls. And like that is, it's different. It's hard. It's a totally different kind of acting. And it all is also absolutely in a way that acting on a set and acting on location isn't. That green screen shit is much more uh, vulnerable to getting chopped up and rearranged in the editing booth. Um, And because it's all fake anyway. Um, and you know we've seen this has been a growing problem of you don't give the the actors the whole script, uh, you don't tell them what they're supposed to be doing. You have them say their lines fifteen ways, and you you you'd stitch together in post. And he's an old school actor, right? Like he's a method. He's got a lot of uh, intention behind his performances, and so that doesn't hold up as well if you're gonna like chop it up and rearrange it. Yes, yeah, I. I, I I mention it often, the round table he did. He found, you know, a spiritual brother in Nicolas Cage. Can you imagine Nicolas Cage in the MCU? It would be horrible. Like you can't yeah. see Johnny Blaze and put him in an MCU like that. Like you if, if Nicolas Cage was playing Kang, I mean they'd have to sell Disney, I think. Like it would, <laughs> <laughs> it would be like uh, Maxwell Lord, because Pedro Pascal is just playing Nicolas Cage in course, yeah. Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, Jonathan Majors approaches stuff like very intentionally and he makes like, you know, he, I he's a much better actor than the actor I'm about to name. But like Eddie Redman, who makes strong choices, strong choices, yep. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors makes strong choices. The difference is Eddie Redman oftentimes makes the wrong choice and picks the wrong movie. See the Danish girl. Yes. An abomination. Yep. Um, Jonathan Majors doesn't do that. He usually picks the right movie and makes the right choice. I think he picked the wrong movie because who cares about this movie? Maybe he made the wrong choice too. And maybe that's what people are reacting to. Um, but I'm even more intrigued by the, by the idea that he did a bad job because I've never seen it happen. <laughs> to be like right okay well let's see it's like when you watch like a leo dicaprio movie like body of lies where he's really bad in that movie you're like but how but how how that even happened yeah and he's and he's incredible in the five minutes of loki that he's in yeah and you know and i see why he would want to you know the promise of kang is you're gonna play like 15 different people you know like a bunch of different versions of this dude across the next five years of movie making of course, Jonathan Majors would sign anybody would sign up for that, but especially somebody who's interested in making strong choices and you know going deep on a character, being able to play all the different variants and versions is a really interesting challenge. And maybe he just like swung for the fences and missed on this version of Kang. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the fuck, what he did, because it's like it, it's a consistent theme in a lot of reviews. Like Jonathan Majors is gives like a tragic performance in this Jonathan Majors awful in this movie. 
And it's like, how can he be the worst actor in a movie with Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michelle Pfeiffer? Like, <laughs> like really just like actors who are known for being bad at their jobs. That yeah. is crazy to me. And uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Like I heard some things about maybe they changed the ending even. I don't know because I don't know what the ending is. Uh, but I feel like they're committed to Kang. So unless they, I mean, Loki season two is committed to Kang. I guess they could pull an audible and dive deeper into Blade and the Black Knight and the um, mystical stuff. But it really did feel like Kang's the next big thing. They've already they planned this out far enough ahead that if this is bad, I don't think we're going to like see a different big villain. We're just going to be stuck with Kang and maybe his various subsequent versions will be less terrible yeah i mean the you just gotta get them you just gotta get them better just like better people around him it just it kind of seems like yeah. it always seemed weird that they were starting him off in quantum mania unless the point was for him to just murder all the entire ant family and maybe that yeah. is the point but like you know give him an easy first round fight uh, because otherwise, you know, if, if Ant-Man can basically take him down, then he's not threatening, and you've kind of... It's like, you know, when you build up a monster heel, he has to go undefeated for a bunch of times, and then you have to, like, really carefully manage when he starts taking losses or getting close to taking losses or taking, you know, count-out or disqualification losses. Um, You know, if Goldberg loses to... Yeah, um, I don't know, uh, Hugh Morris... Um, in 1990-whatever, uh, then <laughs> it doesn't really work. If Goldberg loses to the referee. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that the guy that did, uh, that directed Ant-Man has never done anything good, but he directed Bring It On, so I have to swallow my words. Um, God. This this dude has been in the industry forever. Bring It On came out in 2000. Good for him. Yeah. Um, but other than that, he was just like a rom-com director. He did a movie called Down With Love that has like Renee Zellweger and Oon McGregor in it. Oh, my God. Do you remember I saw that movie? Do you remember this Ewan McGregor period where he was just like fucking persona non grata after Star Wars? Mm -hmm. It was like, like he had committed some kind of war crime and they were just like you only get to be in movies with renee zellweger <laughs> <laughs> and he was trying to like well i guess i'm gonna be the next two grant because nobody else will let me do anything because <laughs> <laughs> fucking george lucas ruined my career right. uh oh man uh yeah so we'll see there's a lot of stuff coming up um we'll end it here but to, to just preview like mandalorians coming back we get more Star Wars coming back. We get the fucking uh it wasn't just Ant-Man. What's coming out soon MCU wise? There's another movie coming out very soon. MCU film or maybe I'm thinking of Shazam. I'm thinking of Shazam. Shazam is coming out. Shazam. Um yeah. so there's a lot of superhero dork shit coming out. Um, there were some more sort of like weird oblique things that uh, James Gunn mentioned. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'll talk next week about his uh, top 10 
potential yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah we, we were we were texting a little bit about it. Teddy Teddy seemed to have some strong reactions to some of this. Also, seems like has some hot takes on Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Um, I'm sure that uh, we'll be able to talk about that without spoiling it because. I also suspect this is one of those Marvel movies where not a lot happens. Um, yes. Where they're doing a lot of table setting and and like Jonathan Majors kills somebody and that leads into like some like cliffhanger type of thing. See how close that is. I don't know. Maybe Robert Downey Jr. comes back. I doubt it. This is probably going to be like a very low stakes fucking movie. Um, yeah, all the Ant-Man movies have been fairly low stakes, so I assume the same will be true, or maybe they'll finally um, kill off Hank Pym or something. They kill Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's like, <laughs> God damn, that's, uh, no one cares. Who cares? Right. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but that'll do it for this episode of Is This Just Bad? Email us at isthisjustbad at gmail.com. Stay off social media, people. It's not good for your mental, physical, emotional, or even sexual health. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs> Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates brought your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with the crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, have a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean, it's free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse and psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet. Or Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.